it's focused on looking at your organization through a different lens where movement and speed becomes really paramount to how the organization is going to sustain itself and how leaders should lead on the importance of meaning. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author, and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with thought leaders to explore and learn how you can create your new futures for you and for your business. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Kathy Sunshine. Kathy was originally here with us on episode 19, and she's here today to dialogue and to reflect on her new book. Kathy is the founder and president of the Sunshine Group, a consulting and coaching firm specializing in family business, leadership transformation, and organization design. She works with leaders and organizations to break through blockages and to produce turnaround growth. Through her work, Kathy helped hundreds of teams improve performance and create transformational results. Kathy, congratulations on publishing uh, your book, Synced. It's great to have you here. Welcome. Aviv, it's a pleasure being here again. Thank you so much for the opportunity of chatting and talking about Synced. So tell me first, how have you been since uh, publishing your book? Uh, how is it being received? Well, I've had um, one book signing, a couple of parties for people that know me. From what I understand now, the clients that are buying books for themselves and their teams, it's being received well. I'm told that, uh, and I tell people it's much like a primer where I've laid everything out. And for those who know me, their feedback is, is excellent. But they, they, what, what I'm told is, as they read it, each page has l- different layers to it. So they, they realize on the one hand, it sounds relatively simple and straightforward. But uh, that begins when they start to think about it, they peel back many layers. So I think uh, I'm happy with the way it's received. Yeah, that's great. So it, it means that there are more layers of meaning and potential uh, for people to um, internalize. Tell me first about the thinking behind the name of the book. Explain the, the name Synced and why you've chosen to call the book Synced. You know, I, I think really at the heart of any organization, and it could be a business, an institution, any entity, is the interconnection the synchronicity between its purpose, between its customer and its internal operations. You know, how well does it synchronize its work to provide value in the market or to its, the, you know, to the people it serves? So Synced really is, the, you know, Synced, the behavioral operating system, is called that because of the core belief that I have in 
synchronicity and synchronizing behavior. Technology, any information technology we have is perfectly synchronized. It can't tolerate a blockage or it would you know, shut down. Well, organizations have not been built for that. So the, world's, the word synced is really um, to define how a behavioral system can work that's equally synchronized. Value gets created at every chain of the, um, of the operation. Right. So you say that this is ultimately a behavioral operating system, which I imagine means that you are defining in the book an approach to how an organization behaves, that is to say the do's and don'ts and the principles and the rituals that guide an organizational behavior. Exactly. You know, we have operations of every type, manufacturing operations, distribution operations, but we really don't have anything called behavioral operations. People tend to think of human resources. That's, that's a function. It's not an operating system. And, and what I realized after many years of consulting and doing work with organizations, when we can view the organization as, as a whole system like this, um, breakthroughs occur pretty quickly. We find blockages that we didn't know existed You know, the, the book itself, I like to think of as a series of vignettes and stories and cases that I've of clients, but it's linked together by sort of a philosophy and a methodology I've used for years. Uh, it's sort of a way of thinking, but also a way of operating. It's focused on looking at your organization through a different lens where movement and speed becomes really paramount to how the organization is going to sustain itself and how leaders should lead um, on the importance of meaning sort of baked into every aspect of departments and divisions and functions. You say on the opening page, you actually have on your opening page, your own quote, and the quote says, If you know who your customer is, you know why you exist. If you know why you exist, you know what you have to do. If you know what you have to do, do it and remove anything that gets in the way. Powerful uh, message there. How do clients respond to this message when you bring this articulation? And what, what is it that people do with this insight? Because this is a powerful insight. Well, it's actually very serious. And it takes a few readings for people to understand just how serious it is. Aviv, when I, I've been in practice 40 years. And I don't know why, but for years early on in my consulting and coaching work, about every other year, I would bring a bunch of clients together over lunch And they were, they were all varied. They didn't know each other. And I'd say, I'd ask them to tell me what I did for them. And it wasn't so much to pat me on the back as to really gain some insight from them as to what was I doing? Because I, all, I actually didn't know what to put on my business card. You know, at one time I was a 
consultant to management and human resources. Another time I was a strategic advisor. I allowed myself to listen to them to then learn who I was because I felt like they were the ones that were going to tell me what value I was providing to them. Now at the time, and this was 30 some years ago, I did it probably a half a dozen, six, eight times over the years. I didn't realize how much I believed in the importance of and the value of believing in your customer more than you believe in yourself. And I don't believe in yourself, but learning from the outside, reflecting back on you, who you were. So when I say, you know, if you know who your customer is, you know why you exist, I take it very seriously. Most organizations think of that kind of language as sort of marketing language, who's my customer? In the book, it's, it's much more core to an organization's identity. Well, you essentially say that your customer is your reason for being. Exactly. And actually, it's pretty simple. That's true. Because if your customer goes away, what are you going to do next? You know, you really only exist in their, in their minds and in their mind's eye. And it's even more true today because of, you know, what technology has done to all of us. It's made the customer, you know, the customer really has all of the control. But the actual belief about how your identity is created based on what you have provided to another is a very complex and confusing concept for most. And it's only in the implementation of it that my clients gain insight. They go, oh, my God. You know, it's usually, it's usually an aha once somebody realizes that. Right. You then also say that when you put the customer first, you ought to proceed with making bold promises. So two questions here. Uh, what are bold promises and why should we make them once, as you say, we anchor ourselves on the customer, not just as a superficial idea, but in a more fundamental appreciation of the reason for a business? What, what, what is the place of bold promises there? If you believe that your customer drives your identity, then you are, it, it's bold and, and complex, but important that you follow the feedback they're giving you. So let me see if I can follow on your bold promises. Most clients, most businesses, um, you know, we've, we've learned to understand our mission and our vision and our values internally. And the marketing work that we've done, we identify who, who are we unique to, who's our market, who's our customer. And we identify those customers in our own way. Our marketing department targets a customer in order to provide, you know, provide value, sell products, sell services. And we make promises to them about what we're going to provide. In today's day and age, those promises become really critical because unless we deliver on those promises, the customers have many other options. 
And if, in fact, our marketing is one of convincing a customer of what we do rather than responding to the customer based on their expectations, the customer sniffs that out very quickly. We all do. How many of us have been duped by feeling like we're being upsold on something? Right. So, mentality. I mean, it changes the mentality dramatically. Yeah. Well, so when Amazon promises to deliver in 24 hours or sometime uh, fresh in an hour, they deliver. These are, these are bold promises, but these are very tangible. In the business that you and I, we, we're in, my promise is that there are customers, there are clients group, uh, leadership teams that tell me, that we are able to, in the two and a half days workshop, we are together to produce what otherwise would take three or sometimes six months process. But more importantly, that we are about, we are likely to come through the workshop with agreements and decisions and alignment that would never be achieved otherwise. And to me, that's bold, but that's, that's concrete and actual. Because right. I, I do believe in, in the transformative power of human conversation in business and the, the profound alignment that can be developed. What's powerful in the approach you're offering here is that you have developed an approach that delivers radical alignment, which is what you call being synced. And, and, and I wonder if you can describe at a high level, this idea of ranked advantage design. Just give us, uh, obviously, there is a lot in the book about this, but give us the introduction to, to this idea, which is central to Synced. Can I, let me go back to the comment you made about how you produce um, bold results. Please. First, I'm sure there are hundreds and thousands of consultants that work with teams of people to what they would say produce results. They are coming there with tools to produce a result. What I would suggest is that the bold promises that you make and your ability to deliver on them come from your creating a presence and an environment that enables them to become bold that you're actually mirroring that customer in a way that they can come alive. So you're not targeting them to lay something on them, but you're building an environment that enables them to have a presence with you that establishes fundamentally powerful results. And that's a difference in a lunar versus solar mentality. It's a difference between a marketing mentality and inside out selling and an outside-in mirroring or magnifying the energy that they're already bringing. Right. And that's, tr- that's what I mean about you can make a bold promise in the way that we're describing, and it will be transformational. Yeah, to be transparent, that's one-third of what I do, uh, right. and I imagine your process is similar. So you're absolutely right. There is something that happens 
when we are in the room with people that mirrors back to them and calls out of them their best, their best energy, their best idea, their best self, and, and encourage and promote them to interact with each other at a higher level. So that's one third. The, the other second third are the tools, the frameworks, the behavioral algorithms, uh, and, and the technology, the human technology that, that's planted into, uh, which is what you call operating system, and I often use the term operating system as well. That's the second third. And the third third is, is actually navigating the experience as a holistic, unified choreography that comes together like a symphony and integrates the culture, the strategy, the organization, and the future we, we are looking to create. And, and what's compelling for me in what you've created in Synced is that you seem to be doing that very uh, thing yourself in the, the kind of uh, methodology that you're describing in the book, which is why I'm asking you to talk a little bit about the ranked advantage design. Let me take your three pieces and lay it right on top of the philosophical framework and the methods that I have in the book because they're they're simply totally in alignment. Okay. What we just talked about was I, I in my book I talk about three critical propellants or elements customer structure and throughput. Yep. Now, if I lay that on top of what you said, the first thing we talked about was transparency with the customer, which is what we talked about earlier, how the customer becomes you, you become them, and your work with them becomes absolutely transparent. In essence, becoming them, aligning with them. You have brought them into your sphere, even though you're an individual, not a business. So that's the first third you talked about. That to me is the customer. And, and, uh, and from where I sit, organizations have to actually pivot. It's, it's as if the center of gravity has shifted for organizations to the outside. So our center of gravity as consultants and organizations has to shift as well. We have to pivot from the reality of the customer in from the outside in rather than reverse. And that's what you're doing in your transparency. The second third you mentioned is what, what I talk about with structure. So I talk about structure as my first, or customer is the first, structure is the second, and throughput, which is your choreography, as the third. So we're anchored on the customer. The second third is really... Structural, I believe that structure has the power, structure is a container that has the power of creating flow of an, and enabling flow. Structure, like the choreography of a, you know, a, a, a symphony orchestra, is, has a very compelling structure that enables the music to flow through it. Well, organizations today in the second third um, that I call structure 
The methodology I use is called a ranked advantage design. It's a way of designing your business for flow or to enable throughput. It's not the usual and customary org structure, because I think we need an org structure. You can have a hierarchy that tells who reports to whom. But in a ranked advantage design structure, you're actually deconstructing the functions inside the company and building a ranked advantage based on who they serve. So, so hold that thought there for a minute. Because sure. let me read at this point from page 17 where you talk about those three levels. Uh, right above the, the diagram where you show the customer structure and throughput. So you say, the levels consist of A, one, maniacal focus on your anchor customer, your reason to exist and the connection you have to the outside world. Two, synchronized structure, the container in which you conduct all internal functional activities in service of your anchor customer and three low viscosity throughput your agility the integrated and cohesive movement within your organization that enables it to perform brilliantly so i, I stopped you mid-flight as you're talking about structure and i know we, we want to come back to structure in a minute but can you explain <laughs> this idea of low viscosity throughput, what's that? That's, uh, that's basically movement. It's, it's the release of any constraints in the system. So you know there is work on the concept of flow where we energetically can move into a space where we are so productive and we're invisible. Well, organizational throughput, if you're a manufacturing firm, you know what the word throughput means. You measure throughput by how fast uh, raw materials can move through a system. So low viscosity throughput is, is the openness of energy that is not constrained by workarounds or conflicts or um, blockages in the organizational world. You're actually, we're focused on the removal of constraints. So when you talk about choreography, that as your third, third, I speak of that as movement. I speak of that as fluidity and the ability for people to really perform their craft and stay curious and open to changes that are going on with their customers. Yes. So let's get back to the second level to, to structure and and I'm, I'm not going to read a segment for, on page 47 where you talk about structure institutionalized behavior because there is something provocative and radical once it's being internalized in, in the way you offer it here and you say structure is a type of container or framework that organizes behaviors in a certain way and fuels experiences Structures can be architectural and physical, such as in the blueprint of a house or the way a beehive is designed to produce and store honey. Structure can be a set of understandings, agreements, and rules 
that direct and organize all types of behavior. Structure defines the way things are done, and structure, therefore, results in the creation of a culture. Another three bold lines in uppercase, and the first says, structure institutionalizes behavior, behavior drives performance, and performance determines culture. So the differentiating idea here is that you assert that structure determines behavior. But again, you're not talking about merely, as you said, organizational design in terms of who reports to who. You assert, as you started to explain, a much broader idea of what structure is as the container inside of which flow is being made possible. Correct. And in what, we, what I call ranked advantage design, it's actually the methodology by which this can occur, where flow can, can actually occur. But the reason I call it ranked advantage, you know, we've become accustomed to thinking in terms of servicing, serving each other internally. You know, I serve you and you serve me and we're a happy family. <laughs> in a ranked advantage design environment, in a synchronized environment, we actually prioritize and rank advantage between the supplier and the, and the customer internally in a company. Mm-hmm. So it's in, the internal service structure gets designed, but it's designed in a certain way so that there really are ranked advantages based on who you serve. So priorities become much more easily determined. People aren't as confused by, to, in order to make decisions. They can make decisions in a much more clean way, and there's no ego involved. What would be an example of that that you can offer? Well, one of my clients is a technology company. It's a, a telephony and cable company. You know, they've identified their anchor customers. And when you do that, by the way, you have to really understand who those anchor customers are and what they expect from you. So you're going to break it down, not just by their demographics, but by their similar expectations of you. Let me just ask ask you to clarify. The anchor customer is always somebody outside the company, the end customer, the end user, the, the the, the, the person paying for the service or the solution or the product? Correct. It isn't always the one paying for it. And, and it's tricky. I mean, there, there are 10 layers to identifying who the anchor customer is because the anchor customer, again, is, defi- is defining you. So you'll say, oh, who are we serving? Well, these are a list of customers. But what you're going to want to identify is who are the ones that actually defining your value in the world, which customers are. Now, I can, I'm going to go off track and help, me, help bring me back, but I'll give you an example. Um, you know, Uber came on the scene and basically transformed the way we think about taxi drivers. I mean, we used to be in this vertical reality of taxis. You call the taxi, the taxi driver 
somebody picks up the phone, they order the taxi, they come to you, you pay them, you figure out a tip. I mean, there were 12 intermediate steps in your, you, the customer's experience of riding that taxi. Uh, when Uber uh, first transformed that industry, they were the only one, they were the only game in town. It was brilliant because again, it disintermediated all of the confusion and complexity that we feel because it was really just an app. It was technology. You needed a ride, you call for the ride, they show up and you get there and you didn't even have to worry about a tip. So it made the customer calm. Well, as Uber grew early on in its life and it grew quickly, it incorrectly identified its anchor customer as the rider. Mm. So it said, well, the guy paying us is our customer. That's our anchor customer. So we're going to focus everything on the guy who's riding in our cars. But the truth is that the real anchor customer for Uber was the driver. Right. And that subtle but fundamental mistake enabled years earlier you know, lift to come into the market. Yep. And so when I'm talking about the anchor customer, I'm, I'm really, it's a subtle distinction, but very important that organizations understand they are not stakeholders. They are, they are the people, you know, that create your existence. So, yep. so that's a big distinction, but let me go back to your question. What, what, one more, sure. one more first on what you were describing there. So should internal functions in a company also be aligned to and have a line of sight to that external customer, which you call the NCARE customer? Yeah, the ranked advantage design, which actually is a design, it's a structural design, actually enables the entire organizational system to be to have line of sight to the external customer but they do it through their service to each other differently through a ranked advantage service so you asked me for an example in one of my with one of my clients they had identified their anchor customers they had understood what those customers expected of them And then we went to the inside of the organization to say, who does the customer actually, who's the most important internal function to that customer? And, and, and a discussion ensued between, is it the call center who takes orders from them and services them when they have a problem because they're in contact with that customer? Or is it the field people? the people who actually go out, install the cable, and meet the people face-to-face. And the real question was, I mean, they kept going back and forth. They said, well, it's both of us. It's the fee. We're, we're important. No, we're important. No, we're, there was a little power struggle discussion. But in a ranked advantage design, only one can win. And by the way, it doesn't really matter which one. But the whole organization needs to agree on which one is the most important in, in the ranked advantage design to that external customer. In this case, you know, was it the call center? Because the customer is calling in and they're talking to Susie on the phone 
or not, or on the, on the web, but they but they are in contact with the call center who then dispatches the field. So the question is, is the field in service to the call center? Or is the call center in service to the field? In their case, they determined that this call center, that the field was in service to the call center. Okay, just um, why is it so critical to define who is in service to who rather than say simplistically that they are both serving each other? Because the expectations of the customer become paramount. Mm-hmm. So in, case of, in the case of the call center, if they made a promise to that customer that they were going to be out there at 2 o'clock, the field people had to follow that promise. Right. And because they were accountable to the call center, even though they were meeting the customer, you know, firsthand. Right. This, this is a great example to the, the point you're making. Who are we ultimately serving? And what is the ultimate value that we would provide through this service? And if you follow that, it, it, it becomes very clear the directionality of the movement. It's very important that it be directional. And, um, you know, the, you know, in this case, it changed the way they use technology. So once you've determined that in this case, the call center was the primary service, you know, of the field, the field had to make sure that they had um, handheld devices so that they could communicate always both to the customer and to the call center exactly what was going on. And the, the hiring process for the call center people was different. Call center people ended up becoming much higher level consultants so that they could get all the data they needed from the, from the anchor customer so that the, you know, the field people could deliver on that promise. It changes entirely the mentality, the priorities, where you spend money, and how you measure. I'm looking at page 109, where uh, you're actually showing the five steps. Step one is NCARE. Step two is deconstruct. (laughs) Step three is reconstruct. Step four is restart, and step five is measure. Obviously, we're going to link the, the book in, in the show notes and people want to learn more can get the book and, and internalize because, as you said, there is more here than uh, at, at the first uh, reading. But describe it again at a high level the, the idea of those five steps, uh, beginning with customer through structure uh, all the way to throughput. Well, the, um, you know, the book is, it describes a way of thinking and a philosophy, a philosophical framework, but it also shows how to operate mm-hmm. and, and why it's critical. And these five steps are actually the operational steps to building a synced organization. Um, the first is this anchor customer really knowing who they are, much like I talked about with Uber. For many, many of my clients, um, the way they've identified their customers is not functioning well for them or won't in the long term because 
in today's day and age, we have to move quickly and we have to provide value. And the value has to be determined by the outside customer and they're fickle. They're, they're, their needs change. So we have to be tethered to that outside customer in a way where we can sense their changes but even before they can sometimes. So we're responding to them. So we have to be incredibly responsive and fast internally. So identifying who those anchor customers are becomes key. Otherwise, we can be distracted by all these extraneous people making demands on us. Right. So the first step is identifying that customer. And we talk a little bit about how and how to um, diagnose whether you have the right ones or not. In the book, we give a little checklist. But the second piece, so now you've identified those anchor customers, and that's really probably 60% of your work. But now you have to go internally and say, how are we functioning? And so the first thing we do is deconstruct all of our internal functions. Now, I don't care if you're a 300-person organization or you've got 30,000 employees throughout the world. You are functioning based on departments and divisions. Well, um, by the way, the, all this synchronicity, this scales easily. The ranked advantage design can scale to any size. So the second step is we actually have to step, step back and say, all right, what are our departments? How do we function? And like Humpty Dumpty, I sort of take it apart one by one and examine each of them separately before you reconstruct them. So you've deconstructed the, the functions. And when we do this, by the way, we find all kinds of redundancies and some, you know, too many resources in one, too few in others. We begin to already remove some constraints and some workarounds that have been embedded into the system. Once you've deconstructed those and looked at them individually, then, then it's the time to do the ranked advantage process and we reconstruct them. We put them back together, but in order of service internally. And that takes some time because as I said, you wanna really examine um, who services whom internally and what those expectations are from the internal customer. When we get, when we get to measurement, we, so we reconstruct, we deconstruct, we reconstruct, and then when we get into measurement, you're really measuring throughput. Yep. But the only way to measure that is to examine the expectations of the customer to the supplier internally. Yep. What happens is you can build a gap analysis that actually enables the internal organization to flow. It's a strategic move that is the teeth and the accountability behind a system that's horizontal that can move rather than one that's, you know, simply doing something for their boss. Right. The result of which is throughput. Exactly. Did you ever think to run the three branches of government, the Congress, the executive branch, and the legislative branch through this exercise? Yeah, I mean... I've mused, I haven't actually, I mean, if I had the time, I'd do case studies on this right now, because, you know, it applies, first of all, governmental entities, you really take a look at who you're serving, who your anchor customer is. 
And if you really look at that, it becomes very obvious why we function the way we do today. <laughs> because the anchor customer isn't who we might, who the rhetoric says we should. Well, it's interesting because I bet some will tell you that the anchor customer is the American people. And then there will be those that will assert that the anchor customer is the Constitution, <laughs> serving the Constitution. So this is an interesting, uh, interesting conundrum. And I would say it is the Constitution. But then if you, because in implementing the Constitution, you're servicing the people. Right. I mean, when I apply this to the educational system, for instance, and we look at all the dysfunction we have in different hierarchies of value that's provided in different educational systems, you begin to see that the anchor customer has been mis misidentified. If we look at the anchor customer of the educational system, we would see it as the future intellectual prowess of the United States. Right. And if we look at it that way, that, that the anchor customer is really the future um, leadership in the world. Yeah, well, that's a whole other equation. It's Once a whole you different say equation, but it's, it works. And if you actually work it backwards, you begin to see how the infrastructure will completely transform itself. Not, not, won't take too long either. It's not hard. Correct. So, but the, the big idea there is consider, that's a bit like the, the Cherokee idea of seven generations down. So consider yeah. that you are serving not even today's generation, but the prosperity and, and the, the prowess and the success of future generations. So whoever is in government today must internalize those considerations yep. and, and all the implications. That, that's, a, that's a significant rewiring of people's minds, yes. uh, not only from a, a short-term election cycle, but to a whole new, again, as you said, the, the anchor customer defines your reason for being. Correct. Well, imagine what's it like that you get up to work for people that were not born, but people that will be born tomorrow and, 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 and their future. That's a whole other different orientation to the, the work and the service you, you bring to, to, to what you do every day. And that is the excitement in this way of thinking. Because if it's taken seriously, it's not complicated to figure out how to allocate budget. It's not complicated the budgetary issues and priorities become much easier to determine. And the um, infighting with boards of, you know, boards of education in each state can all but dissolve. Again, it's a whole, but that is the power of the philosophical framework here. Yeah, beautiful. So, Kathy, thank you for, uh, all that. And is there uh, any other additional uh, parting message that you want to offer to people listening to, to Create New Futures about the book? Obviously, I'll ask you to also share where people can, can get a copy of the book and it's, if it's available in also audio or not. But share, please, those two things. Where can people get the book and what other closing parting message would you like to offer? People can purchase the book on Amazon 
or through my website, if you'd like, which is www.sunshineconsultancy.com. But it's fine through Amazon, and I really appreciate your feedback on it. I'll have an audio version of that in the next few months because I think it's important to actually have the audio version. I, I really enjoy listening to you um, quote from the book um, of Eve because it also helps me internalize. I think uh, the aud audible version will be a lot of fun to create. My parting thought, I guess, is uh, there are three things I want to say. Number one, we all know that we are living in another world now that there is a confluence of events that have occurred over the last 30 years, but that are so in our face now that we just can't operate in the same old ways. Um, we are trying to operate our organizations and our leadership models vertically. Um, you know, one problem solved at a time rather than horizontally, which is, building elegant solutions that can transform the questions we're asking. And, and so I, wanna, I want us to be sobered and understanding that we really are in another environment. The confluence of technology, globalization, and man's search for meaning has created a demand for change in organizations that want to survive over the long run. And I believe this answers it. Secondly, I, if you read the book, I really, really appreciate your seeing this as a, as a primer. And please ask me questions, give me feedback, any of that. I'm, I'm really open to it. It's my first book, but it's really a book that is describing 30 years of work with organizations and leaders and what I've learned and consider redesigning your organization for what I'm calling reverse flow, <laughs> mm. where you really build a culture that frees people to practice what they do best, frees them to focus on meaningful activities, and frees them to seek out and adapt to new information rather than being afraid of it. Because I think we have to reverse that paradigm that we're in around control. It changes the power curve of everything. And in the end, the organization itself feels much more free to be transparent because there's no reason not to. They're operating in response to the creation of value. And I think that is so lacking today. And, yes. it's, you know, it's showing not just what to do, but sort of how to do it. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity of talking about it, Aviv. It's, it's really the outgrowth of something I've been living, and um, I'm so thrilled to expose it to the outside world through this book. I can't tell you. It's wonderful. Like I think you referred to this Writing my book, the first one, is really like giving birth. It's um, exhausting. And now that it's finished, it's moving into a whole different gestalt. Wonderful. So thank when you. We, wonderful. When we liberate people, we liberate and unleash flow. 
Absolutely. When we liberate and unleash flow, we unleash the, the energy potential and the genius that locked in the system to solve and address the complexity of what appeared to have been insolvable problems, but is solved, can be solved and is solved through the emergence of flow as you offer in Synced. Yes, thank you. And this, and this is a way to do it. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. And I, I just appreciate so much your alignment with this philosophically and otherwise. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. This has been a, this has been a fun conversation. I appreciate it, Aviv. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.